about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at that tonight here in Bible lists, facts about the Holy Spirit. And it's not all the facts of the Holy Spirit found in Scripture or all the aspects of how he is revealed. But I want to say up front on that, it's important to understand that um, as we, the, the study of the Holy Spirit is such that um, I think of the, of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood um, because, first of all, much of Scripture does not point to the Holy Spirit, points instead to God the Father through the Son. And the Holy Spirit is uh, that member of the Trinity who points people to Jesus and points people uh, to the Godhead that way. Um, and that's his primary ministry, if you want to use it as a ministry. And I say he because he is a person. Uh, the misunderstanding that the Holy Spirit is this sort of force that is, you know, behind God or, or whatever, and that's how sometimes people refer to the Holy Spirit as it, or, you know, the, and as in Scripture, he's referred to as he. And he has personality. He, ha, he is a person. And as we study some things out about him, and he is has deity in other words he's equal with god and he's actually called god in scripture and so we see these things about him and i'm going to look at these and there are a number of them i'm just kind of going again verse by verse by verse i know they're long lists and uh, hopefully you you stay awake through it and all that stuff but you may find some interesting things as we go through this i hope you do anyways and i i say that um of course knowing that you are interested in studying the Word of God, or else you wouldn't be here tonight. So thank you for being here. And let's just uh, open in a word of prayer here on this. Lord, we open up your Word. We look to you tonight to open the Word of God to us. And may the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts and minds tonight, in our lives. And thank you for his ministry to us and constant upholding of all things. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Fifteen facts about the Holy Spirit. This is, again, the list that Harold Wilmington compiled. And um, he has in this 13 names. uh, Hopefully I did this right. Maybe I didn't. There we are. No. Fifteen facts about the Holy Spirit. And some things that we know about him and what he's like. And uh, the first one is this. And again, if he is indeed God, what are some of the attributes of God? What are some of the, the perfections of God? Like I'm saying, if God, like, you know, what's that? Okay, he's omniscient, right? What does that mean? <clears throat> All-knowing, right? Yeah, he knows everything. Okay, is he, what's another one? Omnipotent, all-powerful. And I heard another one. Omnipresent, all-present, everywhere present. What's that? Eternal. Eternal. There's another one. So you guys are, you guys could do this list. That's great. And um, there's actually even more than that. But here we're going to look at some of these. And I'm going to start with those omni words, right? Omnipresent. And according to Psalm 139, verse 7, it's a good song. It's not the only verse that deals with this, but this is a good one. Here the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is, of course, nowhere. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. In other words, all-knowing. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And so, if you want the perfect mind of God, well, the Holy Spirit testifies of the mind of God. He is all-knowing. And um, that, so he's, those are two criteria right there, right? Omnipresent and omniscient. And then omnipotent, that's the next one. We read in the very second verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we have here the Spirit of God who is uh, involved in creation, and the very act of creation. And we also have the Father who's involved, and we also have the Son who's involved. The triune God involved in creation. Okay, and the other one I heard uh, from uh, 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 another attribute is eternal. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the what? Eternal Spirit. He's eternal. And that word means eternal. It doesn't mean like uh, a long time, it means forever. And again, a good word. We've been going through the book of Jude on Wednesday night, and we were looking at that word, eternal, um, as it is uh, shown in the book of Jude. And, and then we branched out from there and kind of looked at that in the reference to both eternal life and eternal damnation. And the Spirit of God is eternal both directions, right? That forever and ever. I mean, I say directions because our concept of time, time is linear. God isn't bound by time. Time was created by him. Think about that. Okay, he is eternal. He is called God in scripture. Um, One of the verses or passages is here in Acts chapter 5. You have the account of Ananias and Sapphira, remember? And they sell a piece of land and they come to um, give a portion of that to in, the, in an offering but in doing so they do it under false pretense they come to make a show of their giving and they held back what they were supposed to give and very serious matter because um, you know they were basically lying to God that's what it says here is Peter said to Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself And while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So previous verse says he lied to the Holy Spirit. The next verse says he lied to God. One and the same. Again, you see that. He is equal with God. He is equal with the Father and of the Son. In the Son. And I think... You can't get away from the Great Commission verse of Matthew, right? It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Every believer that's followed in baptism from the church age on, listen, they followed and they were baptized in the names of the Trinity. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful that you see the triune God involved in world evangelism. 
As a person, he has a mind or a heart, as Scripture often uses the same word interchangeably. Um, and in verse, oh, and I didn't read the second part of this, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And again, God is eternal, right? He's there. Romans 8.27 is where I'm going. He has a mind. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So again, you have the mind of the the Spirit. Um, And so, again, not some just like active force that some people kind of think the Holy Spirit is, and and that, that we can just kind of conjure him up, I guess, would be the... The word sometimes I think that's a very flippant view of who he is, um, and in rather he is the unsearchable, uh, all-knowing, eternal God, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he searches out the human mind, and again that's that omniscience, right? First Corinthians two ten, but God has revealed them, and we read this earlier. Revealed them. To us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And again, we have that um, in verse 11, he says, But one of the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And we know that not only does he have a mind and he searches the human mind, but he also has a will. A will. And he wills certain things. And this context of that is the gifting that is accomplished. Uh, and we're going to look at some of the, if we have time, some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We know he also prevents or forbids. In other words, um, he puts up, well, sometimes we pray, Lord, open up a door or put up a hedge, you know, make us stop. Uh, and, and God directs us as such in accordance to his will And we see that in the book of Acts, in chapter 16. Paul receives, well, Paul has this great burden to go further into Asia, into Asia Minor, and to preach the gospel. But God had a different plan. And I also want to say this, that God's plan for you is not necessarily God's plan for someone else. Because, indeed, if tradition is right and if you read the fox's book of martyrs you find out that there were other apostles who went into asia some as far as perhaps china and india i think it was thomas that was killed in india Um, and there's evidence in the linguistic record in the chinese language of christians that would have somehow gotten into you know china in those early days and had in their own language there there are things that come out of Uh, the revelation of the christian god and so there's a lot of other evidences as well but we know that for paul his ministry in accordance with what god wanted was to go into europe and paul went as far most likely as spain and and he and he also uh had three well four missionary journeys really but three that are recorded in the bible and those journeys included you know, some of Asia Minor initially, and then he goes over into Macedonia, and he's now in Europe, and then the gospel is brought to Europe, primarily through the ministry of Paul, initially. And we know that because he says, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, that's Asia Minor, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
So God said, stop. And you've often heard the steps of a good man or order of the Lord. And that's the scripture says that. But you can say the stops also of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Because God sometimes prevents us from doing something. Now, I also say this. It wasn't a bad thing that Paul wanted to go to Asia to preach the word. But God had a better mission, or for him specifically. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And instead, we read that um, God prevents, but then he also leads. And if you go down to verse 10 of Acts 16, it says, Now after he had seen the vision, because Paul receives a vision from the Lord, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And again, Paul doesn't make a distinction between the, 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 the hindering of the Holy Spirit in his life and the leading of the Holy Spirit. As, and he says, the Lord called him to preach. And again, that was the, the ministry that he had for him. And so he has a will. He forbids. He leads. And then he also speaks. Now, we see this in Acts 8. We have the story of Philip the Evangelist, right? And look what it says. Then the Spirit said to Philip, quote, go near and overtake this chariot. Now, where, where was he going? He was, there was a man of Ethiopia, a man who had, he was the treasurer of Ethiopia. And it was that man that was reading in the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and he happened to be in Isaiah 53. That Bible is open to Isaiah 53, by the way. When I lay that out, I always kind of say, well, it's almost the center of the Bible, and it not only aesthetically kind of looks good, but it's a good passage. Because you know what? If some stranger came in here, or the rapture came, and knows maybe nobody here next week, hopefully nobody here next week, right, out of this group, somebody might come in and say, what's this? Read the Bible. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And in Isaiah 53 it tells us of the suffering Messiah who is going to come as a lamb who's led to the slaughter and who's, by whose stripes we're healed. And Philip the evangelist is told by the Holy Spirit, go to this guy's chariot. And he began to explain to him the scripture and what that's about and preach to him Jesus. And the man says, what's hindering me to be baptized, right? And uh, Philip says, believe and you may. Believe and you may. I think that's pretty clear as far as the order in which we're to be baptized. You're to be baptized after you believe, not before you believe. Um, otherwise, you're just being a wet sinner is all it is. And it's really something that uh, should... That we're talking about uh, water baptism. What uh, is necessary for that, it's a picture of what should have already gone on in our hearts, Right? And that's a picture that the Holy Spirit has come to uh, dwell in us. And we are now uh, being buried with Christ, just as our sin is buried with Christ. But it's not left there in the grave. He's risen. And we, we rise up and we're to walk in newness of life, walking in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is involved in that process of what we call spirit baptism, which comes at the moment of salvation. When you, when you become a believer, uh, you exercise faith in Christ, he seals us onto the day of redemption. And he immediately comes to reside within the believer. And his ministry changes to us. His ministry 
changes from a ministry of, uh, you know, where it was a conviction and restraint, perhaps, and other things, to now a ministry of reconciliation, uh, which in part happens before we're saved also, but he begins that work in us to conform us into the image of Christ. There's so much more that also happens. But water baptism is just a picture of those things. Uh, Okay, he leads, he speaks, he loves. By the way, only a person can love. You know, a force just can't love, but a person loves. And we find that in Romans 15.30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. The love of the Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit loves you? You know Jesus loves you? God loves you? <laughs> you know the Bible reveals that. It reveals a love that's an agape love, an unconditional love. It doesn't depend on how I love him back. He loves us. That you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Wow. He also grieves. But again, only a person can grieve. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that indicates, again, that if we are living a life that's not in pleasing or pleasing to God, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible also says he can be quenched in that way. The idea of, of putting out a fire. And I often think of that, how he sets us uh, with a new desire in our in our very bosom, our heart, and often somebody says he's on fire for the Lord. Well, that's the Spirit of God at work in him, but you can quench him, in the sense that you you now sin has come in, and not that he's removed, but you kind of crowd him out in that way. Don't quote, grieve the Holy Spirit. And then, do you know, he also prays. Now we, know, now, we know Christ prays for us to make intercession for us. And we pray to the Father, as Jesus revealed in his prayer that he taught his disciples, where we begin, our Father, who art in heaven, right? But the Holy Spirit prays for us too, right? Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, This morning we were talking about Jesus, right? In Hebrews chapter 4, he's the high priest who has felt all our temptations and all our, he sympathizes with us. In other words, he feels us in that way, what we're like. But here it's the Spirit of God. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And in the older English, they use the neutral itself uh, instead of himself, but my understanding is that it is more properly translated as himself in the, in the pronoun that is chosen there um, in that. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are times you don't even know how to pray. Uh, happens to me all the time. Uh, I had somebody call this week, and they have a situation in their life, and I don't know how to pray about it. I just don't. But I know somebody who does. 
And I actually went to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know when we have this situation and we don't even know how to pray that you'll make intercession for us. So I leave it with you. And that's how I prayed. And I, I, I leave it with him because I don't always get it right. And I'm glad he does. He takes my prayer and whatever mess I can make out of it and he makes it right. And that's what this verse really talks about in that. And it's in intercessions, uh, it says, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Um, and by the way, there's times I think when we're pressed to a point where we can't speak even, you just can kind of groan, you know, or cry. And it reminds us again that the Holy Spirit is at work in those times as well. Uh, all right, here's another topic under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit. And in that list, he has 13 names for the Holy Spirit. 13 names. And uh, we've got about 15 minutes, so it'll probably be about what we're going to get to tonight. But uh, the first one is, he's called the Spirit of God. If you want a Bible reference, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Wow. And he's referring to the temple of our bodies. And in the context of Corinthians, he's writing when Paul, his first letter, when he writes to them, they were practicing immorality, uh, in sexual immorality, many other things. They had a lot of problems. And Paul addresses those things. He doesn't do so as judgmental, like I'm coming to beat you. He comes in pleading with them to repent and mature not to just walk around as babes. And he writes this letter to him. And by the time you come to the second epistle to the Corinthians, it appears that many of those things have been repented of. And he commends them on those things. But he reminds them right off, you're not your own. You know, as I've said earlier, when you receive Jesus Christ by faith, you receive the Holy Spirit of God also. And he takes up residence within us, in this body. Sometimes I wonder why, you know, why would God choose to do something like that? But he does. And it reminds us, I'm not my own. Uh, elsewhere, he says, you're bought with a price, right? You're bought with a price. Uh, that price is the blood of Christ. That price is the death and life of Christ. And we're bought with a price. We're not our own. That's why over and over again in Scripture, uh, like, for instance, Paul referred to himself as a bondservant. He was a slave. Not an unwilling slave, but a willing slave. That's what a bondservant was. Someone who had the opportunity to be free, but they chose to remain with their master because they loved their master. And that's a beautiful view of how we ought to be living. We ought to be living not for ourselves, but for him as a servant, as a bondservant. And to be reminded, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, you're not one of His. It's that simple. We're actually told in Corinthians also to, uh, uh, to see if we are in the faith, you know, to check ourselves in that. He also is called the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. By the way, what we talked about this morning, um, we talked about the condition of that word if, as it's found in Hebrews chapter 3. And it's not conditional, but it's evidentiary. Here's another verse. And there's actually a lot of those verses. I was looking through the New Testament. This, in Thessalonians, very similar. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit dwells in you. Okay? That word if isn't that you first have to have the Spirit dwelling in you to be, you know, in the, in the Spirit. That isn't what he's saying. But it's an evidence of it. If the Spirit is dwelling in you, then you are not in the flesh. In other words, you're not living primarily in your fleshly state. Um, before you had the Spirit of God living in you, and I had in that same condition, we only could do the works of the flesh at best. And that's why it was so hard to overcome sin. Still hard to overcome sin, isn't it? Even with the help of the Holy Spirit. But I often think of that in my years growing up, and I would go to church on Saturday night, and I would go out, and you know, by, by Sunday afternoon I was sinning again, you know, or sometimes even before that. It's sometimes later Saturday night. I was sinning again. And I never had the victory over things. I didn't find it in religion. Religion never got, gave me the, vi- the victory over sin. It was only after I received Christ by faith. And no one ever taught me about the Holy Spirit, you know, at that point in my life. Uh, I knew very little. But all, I've, all of a sudden was aware for the very first time in my life that God is real and that he is now in me because my mind was changed in many ways. No one told me that I need to go home and make some things right and to do some things and make some things right with friends and others. And God did, is what he was. It was his spirit bearing witness with my spirit. Does he dwell in you? If not, you're not his. Hebrews 9.14, he's the eternal spirit. So the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the eternal spirit. How much more shall the blood of Christ through who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. Eternal spirit. Involved in the offering of Christ. He's the spirit of truth. John sixteen thirteen. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. The spirit of truth. Hebrews 10.29. In the last part of that, he says, Which he was sanctified in common, a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. And he's talking about trampling the Son of God underfoot, right? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Don't insult the Spirit. He's the Spirit of glory. 1 Peter 4.14 If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And again, you see that aspect of the triune God mentioned right there, you know. And uh, the name of Christ, the spirit of glory, and God, that's also God the Father, 
and on their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Romans 8.2, he's called the spirit of life. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And of course that's what that's teaching, is that in Christ we've been given a higher calling and we are freed from the law. It doesn't mean we're lawless, by the way. I had this conversation with somebody today after church and we were looking at the Ten Commandments that are posted back there. And we got talking about various things, and, and, and um, one of them was of the keeping of the Sabbath. Are we to keep the Sabbath? I mean, we, we don't want to murder, we don't want to steal, we don't, and we were talking about keeping the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, as it appears in Scripture, was that seventh day of the week. On our calendar, it would be a Saturday, and that's still practiced today among the Jews. Um, when they keep Sabbath, it's a, it's a token of rest. Um, but I, I went to the scriptures and I talked about in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a Sabbath of rest that is now found in Christ, a fulfillment of the Sabbath. And we worship on a day called the Lord's Day. Um, and I understand that term sometimes is interchangeable with the Sabbath, even in the Old Testament, like Isaiah uses that term. But the Lord's Day was the resurrection day, and it was different. And that in scripture chronologically appears the day after, right? So you have, or yeah, you have the Sabbath, and then you have Resurrection Day. Uh, and it, we celebrate or commemorate the resurrection of Christ, which is even greater than the Sabbath. And I'm freed now today from the law of being bound to have to do certain things to meet a covenant with God. Because Christ has made us free. And that's what his death does. And by the way, that's what death does in general. If you were charged with an offense against the law, but you were dead, the law has no effect on you. You'll never see a dead man charged with anything. They just don't, because they're dead. The law can only affect you so long as you live. Imagine if you could die and be raised again, positionally, in Christ. That's what he's done. The law and the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, because I was a sinner and am a sinner, right? I sinned. There's times I was, idol- I was an idolater and a liar and I stole. And all these different things, you go right down through those Ten Commandments and I broke those things and Christ died for us and in his death, I was buried with him by faith. And the law now no longer gets me because I have a better law or a fulfilled law, which is in Christ He met the holy, righteous demands of a God, a God I had offended. And he raises us up new. And that's what he's talking about here. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. You're free. Now you're not to go back and just sin in the law, you know, God's law. But you're free in Christ. Ephesians 1.17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Again, a triune God mentioned there, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, and the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's called the comforter. In John 14, 26, but the helper or comforter in the old English, it's the parakletos, the one who comes alongside us, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I have said to you. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit brings up the things by way of remembrance to you? Happens all the time to me because I forget a lot of stuff. I do. I forget names. I forget things. And I don't know. It doesn't get any easier. And uh, my wife's now a year ahead of me. You know, her birthday was today. I'm, she's not really a year ahead of me, but she's a few months ahead of me. But I joke with now I've got to catch up with her, you know. But, but you know what? I, as I age, I realize I'm forgetting things. But then the Holy Spirit comes back and he brings to mind the things that I have learned by way of remembrance. And I'm glad. He does that at the right moment sometimes when I'm like, wow, where did that come from, you know, that I remembered that. And again, thankful that he's like that. He will teach you. And he is the great teacher, isn't he? Acts 1, 4, and 5. He is the spirit of promise. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard me. Now, who's this? That's the, and then it says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized, that's spirit baptism, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's the spirit of promise. He's the spirit of adoption. For you did not receive, this Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You've been brought into a new family by the Holy Spirit. And then he's the spirit of holiness. Romans 1.4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And you see here in Romans what the Holy Spirit's primary ministry is in, in essence that he, he points people to the power of God, specifically the, the Son of God in this case. And he's the spirit of holiness. And by the way, in that, he will never, if you're wondering, like the Holy Spirit will never lead you into an unholy thing. And there's people that have made some very poor decisions in their life, contrary to God's word, sometimes contrary to the Holy Spirit, and they do so, um, sometimes invoking the name of the Holy Spirit, well, the Spirit led me to do that. Hmm. He's a spirit of holiness. No, he didn't. Years ago, I, I knew of a pastor who, who led, he left his wife, and he moved in with another woman, and his marriage and his ministry, everything fell apart, obviously, and that was his excuse, that the Spirit led me to do this. And I thought, oh, no, not the Holy Spirit. Not at all. But he's the Spirit of holiness. And that's in his name, the Holy Spirit, right? And then lastly, he's the Spirit of faith. And since we have the same Spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. That's 2 Corinthians four, thirteen. And next time, won't be next week, because um, we have our business meeting, Lord willing, next week. But we'll look at some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and do that. And I don't know, hopefully you got something out of this tonight you can run with and, and uh, meditate throughout this week. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for how you reveal in the word of God who you are and what you're like. And I think of that tonight because 
Lord, we have the blessed Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within the life of the believer and seals us for eternity. What a thought involved in that. And Lord, we are grateful. We are so grateful, Lord, because you have looked upon us in that grace and mercy when you didn't have to. And Lord, we pray our lives would reflect the Holy Spirit who is within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.